Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Lighthouse Canton Insights Podcast. This series is brought to you by Lighthouse Canton, a global investment institution that provides wealth and asset management services to accredited investors. Here on this podcast, we'll look to shine a light on the market developments and share strategic insights to help you navigate the global investment landscape. In each episode, we'll be bringing you conversations from leading experts in various fields, including Lighthouse Canton's own investment team and specialists. This podcast was recorded on 22nd June 2023 and was prepared based on the information available as of the date of recording. Please stay tuned for the important information at the end of this episode. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining me on this podcast. Today, we will be delving into the topic of economic potentials and opportunities in Asia, primarily in China and Japan. Now, in the midst of the current climate clouded by economic uncertainty, especially in regions like US and Europe, it has been increasingly crucial for investors to explore promising opportunities within other markets. So today, we would draw our focus on two key markets, like I've mentioned, China and Japan, both offering unique value propositions in the realm of equity investments. Now, we all know China faced significant challenges with its zero COVID policy and the ensuing lockdowns, which resulted in a downturn of almost 20% in its equity markets back in 2022. The reopening of the Chinese economy has effectively you know, sparked renewed interest in investing in the region again. And some of the key factors that are driving this optimism would be the fact that Chinese equity valuations are cheap and there is a lot of you know, room for supportive man, uh, government policies to, to trickle in. In Japan, the market continues to hold its unique allure for investors seeking growth opportunities. Favorable economic factors like positive inflation after years of stagnation present climate that is ripe with a lot of potential as well. However, investing in these regions can become complex and tricky to navigate. Risks are abundant and therefore active managers like Luxton's Asia Fund has played a very pivotal role in assisting our clients navigate these markets very smoothly. I'm very thrilled to have Yoshi Ohira, CIO of Luxon's Capital, here with us today to talk more about the firm's view on the opportunities as well as risks he sees pertaining to Asia. Yoshi, welcome to our podcast. Would you like to start by giving us a brief introduction about yourself as well as Luxon's Capital? Hi, TJ. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, my name is Yoshi Ohira and I'm the CIO of Luxon's Capital. I have spent over 15 years of H1 uh, in Asia, mainly focused on Japan and China. And right now running uh, Luxon's Capital uh, Hong Kong. Uh, this is an Asia long short focus fund. Uh, and our expertise are Japan and China. And we are focused on engagement strategy where we closely work with senior management of large cap corporations in Japan and China. Our team is comprised of four very experienced professionals, two for China, two for Japan. We have access to senior management on the ground, and this is where we find uh, insight and the outlook uh, for both two largest economy in Asia. The good thing about having looking at both uh, countries is that we are flexible in allocation in China and Japan for looking for investment opportunity and therefore less biased uh, toward either countries. 
And we can objectively focus on where we see the more opportunity on the attractive investment side. And through our deep dive bottom-up approach, we get detailed information. And having two countries, we can cross diligence. We can compare uh, which countries, uh, for example, uh, most Japanese compete with China. And China's uh, trying to catch up with Japanese companies uh, so we can have a deep dive due diligence. Thank you so much, Yoshi, for the kind introduction. So let us talk about China first. We all know, like I've mentioned earlier in the introduction of this podcast, China's reopening has sparked some you know, form of hope and optimism in investing in this region again. However, that has turned out to be quite the opposite, with sentiment still thin. And the rebound, which a lot of investors like ourselves were hoping for, has been kind of lackluster. How do you react to this? And do you think that the recovery story remains intact? Yes, I think we expect the recovery is still intact. We did start a uh, year very optimistic, uh, as you mentioned, hoping China to recover uh, post reopening. But unfortunately, it's been slower than expected. Uh, on top down, I think China is still stimulating. Uh, if you look at the M2 growth, it's been s- still strong, 11 to 12% uh, year on year. And if you look at globally, uh, US, Europe, Japan are slowing the M2 growth. So China is the only country that has high growth top down. However, these are mainly went to consumer savings and not spending. I think this was the disappointment that happened for March, April, May. However, if you look at the valuation of Hansen or Shanghai, it is becoming to trough level again uh, that we saw in last October. Uh, last October, uh, we became more positive on China. And right now we see similar situation because valuation is quite cheap and it's still growing. So what we have done lately is basically growth down, taking smaller growth, but higher net. So we are prepared for any rebound that could happen. Understood. No, Yoshi, I think I absolutely agree with you there. I mean, while there are negative sentiments, you know, potentially serving as a near-term headwind to any meaningful rebound. I think the longer-term rhetoric remains there, especially when you're looking at super cheap valuations right now. And like what you've mentioned, you know, the fact that China is not facing some of the economic problems that other parts of, you know, the developed market are facing today, namely uh, inflation. Uh, That has, you know, created a lot of, room for the government to you know roll in stimulus and, and support markets so i don't disagree with you there now shall we shift our focus towards japan it has been increasingly evident that you know the region has come under the spotlight in recent months can you give us a little bit of color on uh, you know the current excitement that investors are seeing right now and you know share with us more about the opportunities that you are seeing yeah, absolutely. As we cover both Japan and China, we have luxury of shifting between two countries. And right now we see a lot more opportunity in Japan. I think there are maybe five different reasons why investors are getting excited on Japan. First and foremost, we are seeing the wage hike. For the first time in 30 years, we saw Japan wage hike exceeding over 3%. And I think this explains why topics like Nikkei is hitting the 33-year high. Because for the past two, three decades, it's been deflationary. Uh, but now we are finally seeing the regime change. We are still not confirmed, uh, but uh, it is exciting, at least the start. And on top of that, we had COVID lockdown, uh, and that's where you're seeing reopening. 
As wage hike continues to increase, we see consumption uh, improving post reopening. This is also positive for the domestic consumption sentiment. And on top of that, despite this strong demand recovery, Bank of Japan continues to support easy monetary policy. This is very uh, different uh, from the U.S., which is uh, thinning and continue to raise rates. As a result, uh, you continue to see interest rates uh, gap between U.S. and Japan, which triggers weak yen. We saw yen hitting 142, uh, and this will be positive for the exporters. And the fourth, we are seeing more changing corporate governance reforms. This started in 2014 in Abenomics, and we are seeing the second wave where Tokyo Stock Exchange is telling companies to trade above one times look. There's nothing uh, Tokyo Stock Exchange can force, but given the culture of Japan, when one company starts to obey, everyone else does. So you are starting to see a record buyback and increase in dividend. And finally, foreign investors are starting to catch up. I think everyone saw Buffett is investing heavily in Japan trading companies, but this has triggered many interests. And if you look at the price to book or PE ratio, uh, it is much cheaper than US. And we are suddenly seeing a flood of foreign investors. We saw 10 weeks uh, straight of foreign investors buying Japan. This is quite an interesting opportunity. During the Abenomics, foreign investors continue to buy Japan for 18 straight weeks. So looks like we're still more to go and hopefully this will continue. So I think there are five interesting uh, change happening in Japan. And all of a sudden, people start to realize that this could be interesting opportunity. Understood, Yoshia. You know, I just, just to sidetrack a bit, I find it funny how when it comes to the US or Europe, everyone seems to hate inflation. But, you know, in Japan, it seems like it's the other way around where people are actually now rejoicing that there's inflation again. It's ironic, but, uh, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yes, I think the most interesting comment is a BOJ governor, Mr. Ueda. He continues to say that the cost of overshooting in Japan relatively cheap than cost of training too early. I think this comment says all and quite a, a stark different uh, from the US and EU uh, central banks. Yeah, I don't disagree there. And okay, I mean, just going back to you know where we were, while it's clear that you are seeing opportunities within the two Asian regions, uh, China and Japan. You know, we also understand that where there are opportunities, there are also risks that are abundant. And we would like to know more about some of the pitfalls that your team is mindful of. And how are you managing those risk imbalance with the opportunities that you see? Yes, I think China risk will flag this point. The recovery has been slower than expected. And we are not seeing uh, stimulus yet. However, uh, as we discussed before, China remains quite cheap. Uh, it is definitely a value. We are cognizant of the foreign investors continue to sell China due to geopolitical risk. I think this is the biggest risk that are to control. So we are running uh, long short. And I think this uh, having longs and short on China mitigates that. But at this point, we do see a lot of upside in China as well. Again, given how cheap companies are trading, even though growth may be double digits, a lot of companies are trading a single digit PE. So that's why we are keeping uh, growth exposure uh, small and taking relatively higher net uh, and getting ready for the rebound. And I think for the Japan, macro risk has been well aware. Aging society has been flagged for the past 20 years. 
And I think this was why caused the deflation. And also the debt to GDP, the high debt number has been a quite concern for Japan. But at the same time, Japanese have a lot of savings and this kind of cancels out. So I think the macro risk that the most difficult thing is aging society. And if you look at Japan, it's interesting is that uh, now robots are making robots. So this is both a risk and opportunity. We see strong growth for robotics company, and this has been uh, working well. And I think this is the only way uh, Japan can survive. And this recently, uh, people are talking about AI uh, and increasing productivity. Uh, this is another area where Japan can benefit, where it's been a huge risk, where number of labor force has been shrinking. But now uh, you are starting to see the opposite, where productivity may be picking up uh, due to technological uh, support. And we could see interesting opportunity going forward. I understood, Yoshi. Um, you kind of mentioned a couple of times on the concept of gross and permutating them as you see fit based on the opportunities and risks that you see. For the benefit of our listeners, would you mind just you know, sharing a little bit more color and explanation on you know, managing your gross and net and in accordance with, with those uh, opportunities and risks? Yes. Uh, typically, for long short fund like ourselves, uh, we have both long, uh, which is buying the company, uh, and short, selling the company. Let's say if you're net neutral, you buy 50, you sell 50, and 50 minus 50 is zero. Typically, we take uh, net exposure around 30 to 40. Uh, so we will buy 80 and sell 50. Uh, so the difference of that 30 will be the net exposure. And the gross exposure is, let's say you have 100 million, and you can use a margin uh, to invest more than 100 million. And let's say if you invest 150 million, on principle of 100 million, you're taking gross exposure of 150. So the way we think about China is if you take too much leverage in this market, it is difficult to navigate because who knows uh, what could happen to geopolitical risk right now. Uh, so that's why you reduce your leverage, but you increase the buying uh, side uh, so that uh, you have more exposure on upside uh, when market turns. Uh, so this is uh, how we control uh, the risk and the downside. Uh, because if you take higher leverage, and let's say tomorrow, uh, let's say Mr. Trump, let say, <laughs> and anything negative on top of Biden uh, pulling China, uh, Mr. Xi Jinping dictator, it would be definitely a negative uh, to geopolitical tensions. And that risk is very difficult to mitigate for uh, investment style like we do uh, on the bottom up. And this is exactly why we keep the leverage, the gross exposure small right now. Understood. Thank you so much, Yoshi, for you know sharing that. I think it's very important to understand the concept of you know, a long shot strategy. And I think that's what makes managers like yourselves very unique because markets like Japan and China, where there are a lot of complexities in the markets, taking on those opportunities in a straight line, uh, you know, may not always work. And the fact that you're able to, you know, take meaningful short positions allows you to effectively uh, benefit and monetize from potential uh, pitfalls that may materialize along the way, as opposed to you know, let's say a long only ETF. So I think that's a very unique value proposition that, you know, I hope our listeners can appreciate. But, you know, in the interest of time, maybe let's move on to the, the final segment of the podcast. While both Japan and China are seemingly isolated opportunity sets, how do you foresee the rest of the global economy and impacting your teams? 
Yes, uh, this is definitely something we looked at uh, closely. Uh, we are not the macro specialists, but uh, most of the countries that we speak to have certain exposure to U.S. market or Europe market as they are uh, exporters. Uh, and if you look at the example for China PMI, it's been quite disappointing lately. And this is partly coming from uh, weak export to Europe has been suffering. And if you look at the U.S., it is a very strange macro data coming out. Uh, the overall macro has been slowing down. Uh, FedEx reported the number yesterday. The result was quite weak. Uh, but the housing stars has been resilient. And it's surprise on upside, despite uh, the rates are very high right now. So you're seeing the very mixed data on the macro. And this is something that's have to have a biased view uh, on upside or downside. So we are taking the monitoring the data right now. And if you look at the China, uh, again, the M2 growth has been uh, strong. Uh, so potentially we could see decoupling where U.S. Uh, continue to slow uh, and China to start to recover uh, if stimulus package comes. So that's something uh, they'll be closely paying attention. And for Japan, if you look at the, the GDP growth or the wage growth, uh, it is now running one of the highest uh, among developed countries. This is quite surprising. It never happened for the past 20 years. And again, maybe that's why uh, foreign investors are getting excited in Japan. And we need to see how sustainable this is. So we'll definitely keep monitoring these data points, uh, which will affect our investment decisions. All right. Thanks, Yoshi, for the wonderful insights. I think we've come to the end of our podcast. So, you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for taking your time to share these insights with our listeners. Would like to just wish you continued success as you navigate these landscapes in both China and Japan for the years to come. And to our audience, please feel free to reach out to our team should you have any questions regarding the content covered in the podcast today. Or if you require any more information on Luxon's Asia Longshot Fund, please do reach out to us as well. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Lighthouse Canton Insights Podcast. We hope you have found this conversation's insightful. To hear more conversations from more experts, please do subscribe to the Lighthouse Canton's Insights Podcast. You can also stay up to date with Lighthouse Canton's latest news and insights by visiting our website at www.lighthouse-canton.com or social media pages. We look forward to having you again in the next episode. This podcast has been prepared by Lighthouse Canton Private Limited and all its affiliates for informational purposes only. There is nothing contained in this podcast that constitutes advisory services. This podcast shall in no event constitute or be considered as advice to invest in any specific investment or investment class, vehicle or in financial instrument. The information contained in this podcast shall not be considered as legal, tax, financial or other advice. You should consult a professional to obtain specific advice regarding financial, legal, regulatory, tax and other regulations applicable to you. You should consult a financial advisor authorized in your jurisdiction before making any investment decision to ensure that you fully understand the products and potential risks involved. Please visit www.lighthouse-canton.com podcast for more details.